Blog Talk Radio. From Live in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at School. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Monday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help challenging students and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach in your classroom and your school. If you have a question or comment, call 646-727-2691. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about challenging kids and how we can help them. Well, hello there, and welcome to the program. Delighted to have you joining in today. We've got a special treat for you today. No, today is not an Anytown High School day, but they'll be back next week learning how to do collaborative problem-solving live on collaborative problem-solving at school. No, today we have a special treat, and you should feel free to call in today. We're going to be talking to a principal, at a school in uh, an elementary school in um, Surrey, British Columbia, uh, Carol Davison, who's the principal at Forsyth Road Elementary. I met her uh, up at a training I was doing uh, up that away um, a while back, and she's agreed to come on and uh, tell us about how she's made it happen in her building, and uh, what troubles they've run into, and how they've overcome those troubles, etc. Um, so uh, Carol's going to come on in just a second. But uh, you should feel free to call in if uh, your school is um, doing this. And we're going to have, between the end of uh, this year and the beginning of next, um, lots of different folks on, besides the folks at Anytown High School who are learning how to do this um, on the program. Um, lots of other schools are uh, have been implementing collaborative problem solving uh, for quite some time. And, of course, we can all learn from uh, what they've learned along the way as they've been implementing the model. So if you want to ask Carol or me questions about uh, anything that we're talking about today, uh, that number, once again, is 646-727-2691. If you're hesitant to call in, as always, you can send me a question electronically through the contact form on the Lives in the Balance website. That's www.livesinthebalance.org. So we've got uh, we've got Carol with us for maybe about 45 minutes, I believe. She just came in from um, dealing with the school buses. So there's her credibility right there. Uh, Carol, welcome to the program. Hi, Ross. How are you? Very well, thank you. Um, what what were you doing right before the program? Is that what you told me? Uh, yeah, it was our lunchtime actually, because we're here on oh, the that's west right. coast. So yeah, that's just right. outside uh, watching some kids play and getting a feeling for uh, actually. Uh, two two particular students that I was working with this morning doing some collaborative problem solving and wanting to see a little bit more about their situation and some of the challenges that they have in different environments. So just kind of, uh, you know, scoping them out and watching them play and getting a feel for for some skills that they may or may not have, actually. <laughs> well, well um, if you're watching them, it's probably because they're lacking at least a few, yes? Yeah, they were, they're lacking a few, yeah. But, uh, you know, it's interesting because you do, you know, one of the things that uh, that – is very important to understand when, of course, when we're doing collaborative problem solving, is that they're not challenging in every situation. So, just getting an idea of, you know, is is recess time and interactions with peers 
one of their problem times, and for some of them it isn't, and some of them it is. So it's definitely it's important to get out there and and uh, and see what's going on with kids in different situations as well, so that you can make a better assessment. Outstanding. By the way, one of the things that um, I've been spending a lot of time with folks on lately is the tendency to start uh, with unsolved problems that are too general and too vague. Yes. And I find that the best way to avoid that um, scenario is to really give some thought to the situations in which the student is having difficulties. So, um, you know, having difficulties with writing would wouldn't probably not be specific enough. It's the specific writing tasks that would permit us to focus on specific unsolved problems. Difficulty in recess would be too vague. Right. Um, yeah, we'd want to sure. talk about some specific things going on in recess. Anything about uh, that, that you can talk about? We, we want to protect, and you're not naming any names, of course. But sure um, what what are these specific unsolved problems that you're working on with these kids, or what did you notice when you were observing them uh, playing? Well, it's interesting because in one particular group of kids in one particular class, there seems to have been a lot of hitting. And this is grade one students, so you know, developmentally, it's not that unusual for kids to 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 hit when they're frustrated or hit when they're upset or or if things aren't going their way. So, I wanted to get an idea of um, whether this was just a child who is very physical. Like maybe you know, one of the things that I I have come across quite often is kids that, you know, they, they just need that physical, tactile stimulation a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes they're just really hands-on type kids, and other kids see that as hitting. So I wanted to get a feeling whether whether the, the hands-onness and the hitting was, uh, you know, in response to a challenging situation, if it was just kind of a, a regular type of interaction that this child has with other kids. And, uh, yeah, it, what I saw, of course, was that, you know, they were playing, I think they were you know, pretending they were wolves or something like that, and they were, you know, wrestling and tumbling around as wolf cubs are are up to do. Um, so these kids have obviously been watching National Geographic or something. But uh, but there was some when I did go and talk to a couple of them, you know, just reminding them, you know, we don't we don't play that way at school. And one of them said, well, he wouldn't get off me. So there was an element there where it was it was not play Very for one of the students, right? So it, it shows that while one student may feel like it's a kind of a normal interaction, others aren't. So looking at, you know, thinking back to the ALSEP and what's on there, it might be something related to, you know, not understanding the effect that his that his play is having on his on his peers. So it all ties in together. Yeah, yeah. I think our listeners are now appreciating why I invited you to be on the program today. Um, <laughs> you've got this model down pat, man. By the way, I was in um, Thompson, Manitoba. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> On uh, Thursday last week, and um, okay. just speaking of wolves, um, the, the, the kids in Thompson, Manitoba, don't actually have to watch National Geographic to see wolves. They no, can, they don't. Many of them just step right outside the door and um, the door. that stuff yeah. in action. Um, Funny. <laughs> fascinating place to be. Tell us about um, how you've gone about trying to implement collaborative problem solving in your building. Well, you made you, uh, you know you made a comment there where I've got it down pat. Where, but I think I think what's uh, important to remember is that as much as you understand the process and you've totally got the philosophy behind it and you, you're able to put the pieces together, it's still not easy, <laughs> and it's still not always very smooth or or effective right off the bat. Um, so for myself, I read I read Lost at School about a year and a half ago when I was a vice principal at another school. Um, just because we did have some kids who we did feel were falling through the cracks. We had kind of felt like we'd exhausted the range of 
um, you know, interventions and and consequences that that we're going to work. And we just kind of felt ourselves going, oh my gosh, like what what else can we do for these kids, or what's going to happen to them? And it's, you know, when you're an administrator, you feel a sense of 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 deep responsibility for the children that you work with, and you want to make sure that you're not letting anybody fall through the cracks. So that's what led me to the book. Um, once I read it, it made me question a lot of the the practices that I myself had been using. So, for example, when I was teaching, I would start every school year telling myself, you know, I don't want to have a token economy system in my class. I know that students can and, and will do the right thing in the right set of circumstances, but invariably by around February I'd be going, oh, my gosh, I need to have a ticket system or something to get these kids to do what I want them to do. Mm-hmm. So I'd fall away from it. So, you know, I've I've had this kind of uh, a war with myself throughout my career. So what, once I read the book, I realized that it's kind of a, a, a natural progression from if you kind of have these beliefs already that kids can do well, will do well if they can, and that it's not just a question of motivation. Um, so I started using just the conversations myself. If students would get sent to the office, I would, you know, try to use the, the collaborative problem-solving model to get at what's the root. But it still usually ended up in something of a consequence or mm. or a plan that had a consequence tied into it. <laughs> you Interesting. Know, like, you know, kind of a blend. Um, and then when I, when I uh, was assigned to this new school in the fall, um, I really felt like I had an opportunity to, to um, op- make it broader and to have a big a bit of more influence in making this happen. So I, you know, there were some some practices in place in the school that were kind of contrary to what I felt was effective with kids, timeout rooms, stuff like that. Um so I started talking with the staff right from day 1, just saying, you know, I I'm this is where I'm coming from. I believe that that our responsibility is to help kids be successful and that is not just academically but with their behavior as well. And at first there were a few kind of, you know, people making little glances towards each other in the staff meetings and things. To, you know, they weren't sure what that would mean for them if they sent a student to the office. So over time, we've kind of come to evolve to a point where, and I've, you know, we, you were talking about the workshop that, that uh, I attended when you were in Powell River. And uh, and um, when I came back from that, I actually made a presentation at the staff meeting using, you know, it had really recharged and refreshed me. So it gave me a chance to to summarize what I wanted my staff to understand about this that when students are being sent to the office, that they're not going to be made to cry or be punished or, you know, have some major consequence that they should fear. It's not a place of fear, but rather I was going to have a conversation with them to find out in what situations they're having this challenge and completely understand it, give them a chance to hear why that's a problem for school. And most of the time kids don't really, it's not too difficult for them to understand why it's a problem at school. They understand that, you know, hitting hurts people or that, um, you know, running away isn't safe, that we're worried that they'll get hurt or something like that. Um, But then having the students be part of the plan, um, teachers, some of them, felt like, well, that's not really come back, like nothing's happened to them. And it's really, for me, changing that mindset of having something happen to the student instead of having something as we wish to do something with the student to solve the problem. That's been the biggest challenge, to, to get that perception to change, that the mm-hmm. child actually can be part of the solution. Fascinating. So, Keep going. So, yeah, I've had, um, I've had a couple of staff members read the book. I was talking about it. We have um, a fairly high Aboriginal uh, population in the school, so we have an Aboriginal child care worker who is in the school three days a week, and he supports um, the Aboriginal students with their 
behavior, academics, you know, he's a liaison between home and school. And so he was really fascinated as well. So he uh, read the book as well. And so between the two of us, we were able to start um, working with some of the kids that we share and even some of the kids that we don't, you know, that, that aren't on his on his caseload. We would still kind of um, touch base with each other and bounce ideas off each other and how's this conversation going. Um, and so it's kind of been starting to spread out. And it was it's really funny because after I, I did the presentation at the um, staff meeting, one of my teachers who teaches kindergarten came in one day and she goes, you know, I, you know, you did that, you did that presentation at the staff meeting about that, you know, uh, what's it called again? So I said, you know, collaborative problem solving. She said, oh yeah, 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 yeah. She goes, well, I figured I'm gonna give it a try. And so she actually, wow. and I had showed, I had showed one of the videos from the website um, during the staff meeting, um, which I think it's a, a primary teacher who had talked about, you know, doing it with primary kids and how, you know, it's. At first, she was skeptical, so this teacher was kind of in the same frame of mind, and so she related the the conversation she'd had with a student who was having trouble um, focusing at the carpet time that he was always turning around and talking to the people behind him. And you know, when she got down to the the invitation and the actual coming up with a, with ideas together, it was really more her idea. But the whole just the fact that she was willing to give it a try, and had wanted then to come and tell me that she'd given it a try was like a huge mm-hmm. like golden ray of sunlight through the clouds, angel choirs kind of moment for me. I was so excited that, you know, that someone, because it's one thing to do it yourself, model it, talk about it, but when someone else actually tries to do it on their own, it's just, I don't know, it's very rewarding. Very. Yeah. So honestly, um, what what I'm finding are, are some of the, you know, those are some of the successes where people are working on it. There are challenges for sure still trying to to make it really be effective and not just be not just pay lip service to it but actually live it mm-hmm. and that's a daily that's a daily thing that we that I work on do do your does your staff know what it is that you want them to do um, not just how you want them to think <clears throat> But have you made explicit yet, maybe not, um, here's the direction I'd like our school to move in um, as it relates to how we're going to handle the kids who were presently, I'm seeing a lot of in the office. Yeah, I think I, I get what you're saying. It's um, I think where I am right now, because it is my first year in the school, um, I think where I am right now is is um, leading just by by modeling mostly, yep. and when there are you know I have taken the opportunity when when the teacher's available that we sit down together with the student and and go through that conversation um, and a lot of times it's I can see that sometimes it's hard for the teacher to not jump in and and want to lecture or you know, kind of go on a long explanation of why the kid is there. Um, and that's why I find that doing it together, you know, I can lead the conversation and, and ask the questions and then, you know, ask for the teacher's input when we're defining the problem and 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 all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's not um, – I have made it explicit in that, you know, when there are problems and, and students are coming to the office, this is what's going to happen. They're not going to get just a consequence. Um, so it has been. It's it's gradual. I think um, my well, goal is. Before you go on, that, what, what, yeah, what go was the reaction to that? What did you get any pushback on 
send them to me and things aren't going to look like they always have what what yeah, there there that. has been a yeah, there ha there there were a couple of reactions, you know, and but I think okay, so for, for, for one example there's um there's a staff member who was getting a lot of um of disrespect from a student, um, mm-hmm. very defiant in the class, like calling out uh, this is like grade seven, um, you know, you can't make me, I hate this class, this is stupid anyway. Um, and then by the time it got to the point where the student was being sent out of the room, they're like, fine, I don't want to be here anyway, and um, swearing, that kind of thing. So when, you know, that teacher felt like there needed to be a really tough consequence for that child's behavior, that if there wasn't, you know, a, a suspension or or something of that nature, that the student would never get the message that it wasn't okay. And, you know, we had to have a conversation privately that, you know, the student knows it's not okay. It's not a, a question of sending the message. The students in grade seven, they know that swearing at the teacher and being disrespectful is wrong. Like, they know that. Um, you know, I there were some things that I knew about the student um, because of some work that I had done with him previously that, um, you know, major academic concerns where the student was very anxious and stressed in the class. And so this behavior was, you know, he's one of those students that would much rather look bad than look stupid. And so he was looking really bad so that he wouldn't look stupid. And it did, it kind of took a while um, because the teacher was quite affronted and offended that the student would, she took it very personally, um, which it's hard not to do. You know, when you're faced in that situation, it's hard not to take it personally, and you want that child to to pay for embarrassing you, and you want the other students to see, like, you know, I'm I'm the boss, and so this kid's going to get punished. So, in that particular case, it was really difficult. Um, what we decided to do, which was kind of a compromise, is um, we gave the student a day of break, and we gave the teacher a day of break, <laughs> and we said, you know what, for this day you and I are going to spend some time together. The, the student and I spent some time together. Um, so I, I wanted to, to continue to have that relationship of, you know, I listen to you and your opinions and your ideas on why things are not going well are very important. And But at the same time, give the teacher some decompression time, not having him in the class for a while. So he was at the school. We had him helping out in, in different rooms. We had him help out with the kindergarten kids for a while. Um, you know, he spent some time with the, the child care worker. So it was just a chance for everyone's emotions to deflate for a while. Um, and then we were able to meet together and come up with a plan. And so we did. I met with the teacher and the student. And, you know, they were both able to talk about why that situation, could, you know, was was unsustainable, why it was not going to be able to happen, to keep happening. Um, and one interesting thing is that our school district here has been very, they're very supportive of, especially I'm, in, I'm working in an inner city school, they're very supportive of um, non, or supporting non-traditional, I don't want to say non-traditional disciplinary practices, but disciplinary practices that are based on relationships. There's actually a project going on right now that um, some staff members from my school are involved in, which is actually helping, I think, CPS take hold better. Um, and there, there's a researcher out of the University of British Columbia here named Gordon Newfeld, and yes. he's done a lot of research on attachment theory. Mm-hmm. And so they've actually been taking teachers from a number of inner-city schools, doing workshops to understand how attachment theory 
relates to children and learning. And then they're actually going to have people come into the schools and work with small teams to talk about how how do your disciplinary practices um, either promote or hinder children's attachment and their emotional health. So it, it's all tying together. I feel like it's really another piece, another layer that's going to make this all work well together. Yep. And it is helping to change some perceptions of teachers maybe that have been working in an inner city situation for a long time and they see a lot of kids with challenging behavior but their approach up to now has been well we need to be you know their families are inconsistent or their families aren't parenting them they don't have rules and expectations so we need to have more rules expectations consequences so i think it's starting to change the perception a little bit that what these kids don't need is more rules what they do need is to be understood and someone to help them be successful so it's all coming around outstanding I don't know if I'm answering your questions. I'm just kind of talking. <laughs> just talking well, no, no. I think I think that it's always fantastic to hear from somebody who's actually doing it, mm-hmm. because um, it's proof that. And, and here's the cool part: uh, I'm not working directly with your school. None of my staff are working directly with your school, and you're making it happen anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the, what that leads, and that sort of proves that this can happen virtually anywhere. Um, a, f- a few points uh, based on what you were saying. First of all, um, you know, up in Thompson, there's a large First Nations um, population there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, in the United States, we call them Native Americans. In Canada, we call them First Nations or um, Aboriginals. Um, and what's always interesting is um, people often, as they do with other kids in in North America and throughout the world who come from uh, different circumstances or what they perceive to be less optimal circumstances, Mm -hmm. they'll point to the circumstances and say, see, that's the problem. Um, Right. And, you know, that's always sort of a fascinating dead end because (laughs) – so just as an example, they might say, well, there's a lot of alcoholism in that family. And I'm not just talking about you know, First Nations or Native American families. I'm just saying that um, they're often pointing to factors over which they have no control and pointing to that factor and saying, see, that's why we can't do anything about it. So I noticed that you said that you have a um, meaningful number of First Nations kids in your school. Mm-hmm. Um, do people invoke that stuff and how do you find your way around it no they don't they don't generally i guess the reason that i brought that up is that because we have we have a staff member who you know who supports kids that are aboriginal and that the idea is to to just build a stronger link between their their home and school um because traditionally in canada because of you know and it's the same in the states that the a lot of families historically have been disengaged from the traditional school system um so there but you're right though because we what I see is that just the fact that we're an inner city school is that um the perception of a lot of a lot of people is that you know the children in our school are living in poverty and that they maybe have a single parent family or they don't have somebody you know uh with a with any with a lot of formal ed- education at home that's going to help them with schoolwork there's a lot of preconceived ideas and I think what was interesting for me coming in is that um, the I actually see just a neighborhood. Like I don't really see it as being a, a poor neighborhood or 
mm-hmm. or a troubled neighborhood. I just see it as a community of people, parents, children, teachers. You know, we all, we're all just working together for the kids. Um, so I think for me it's been, it's been an easier thing to get past and just look at the child individually and say, you know, this child has the skills to deal with this situation and this one doesn't. So it doesn't matter who their parents are or whether, you know, they were bottle-fed or breastfed. It doesn't really matter. You know, it's just like you were saying, what do you have control over? We have control over the situations that that child is uh, exposed to at school, and we have control over what we do about it. And do you think you're getting buy-in on that? Um, I think we do. I think in terms of um, it's kind of ironic because one of the – I guess one of the pros of people not expecting much of the of the parents in the home situation is that they are willing to do things here at school. Um, so, you know, the, the staff does have a history of kind of going above and beyond and doing what needs to be done for kids um, in one sense, in terms of even their basic needs, like food, buying them socks, that kind of stuff. So they see, they see um, us filling needs for kids. Um, but I don't know that they, like when it comes to... When it comes to emotional skills, there's there's always kind of or or cognitive skills, there's always kind of been a, a mindset of, um, well, you know, we already have so much to do. How can we, you know, that's the parents' job. If, you know, I can't be a counselor to everybody, I can't be a psychologist to everybody, I can't, you know, I I, I have curriculum that I have to teach, and you know, I just we, schools can't do it all. But if we don't, these kids are never going to make it. So we right. kind of have to suck it up and do it. <laughs> Well, it's really sort of an amazing thing is that we sometimes push curriculum to the expense of everything else, at the expense of everything else, Yeah. when in fact, for some of our kids, the everything else part is really going to be the part that makes or breaks it. Yeah, um, they're never going to access the curriculum if they aren't in class because they're getting kicked out every day. <laughs> indeed. Uh, a few other questions based on things you've said already. Hmm. This is your first year in this building. Yep. Yes? Yes. How's that been? Because I've been in buildings <laughs> where first-year principals uh, or second-year principals uh, and staff who've been in the building 20 or 30 years, um, sometimes that's a very interesting mix, and, and maybe it explains why you are moving at um, a somewhat cautious pace, we might say. Yeah. Um, not, not that you're moving slowly, but um, what, what dynamics has that presented that has – uh, first of all, any dynamics that that has presented, and has it influenced how you've proceeded in trying to change things around discipline-wise? Yeah, well, you know, it, it's kind of funny because there's a mix of, there's definitely a balance of caution and reckless abandon. <laughs> because I, my situation was very unique. I actually found out that I was being transferred to this school four days before school started, and that was right wow. before a long weekend. So I had no opportunity to meet anybody or... Wow. Or even some people, you know, the the previous, it was posted on email, and so some people didn't even read the email. So the first day of school, I showed up with a sticker on my jacket that said, hello, my name is Carol Davison, and I put another sticker underneath it, and I said, principal. So I was walking around the school, and people were kind of going, oh, the kids, you know, the kids are showing up. You're the principal? Yeah. So it was a bit bizarre. It was a bit surreal. Um, So we had, of course, our first staff meeting that first day. And, uh, you know, I had had the chance to meet with the previous principal for about a half an hour um, on the Friday before the long weekend. And, you know, she had told me about some of the things that were in place, but, of course, it was, you know, going in one ear and out the other. So we did sit down for our first staff meeting on the first day of school and going down the list of the agenda that the previous principal had set. And so one of the things was the behavior 
uh, behavior plan and and uh, you know the the school rules and consequences and so I just asked generally you know what can you tell me about this and so people kind of started talking and I said well you know what I I don't think that I'm ready and I don't think that I feel like that's something that I can do right now and this was something that I really didn't feel was in line with my philosophy on behavior and, and discipline so I said you know I can't we don't have time for me to go into all of it today about what I, you know, what I believe in and what I can do, but I'm just going to ask that you trust me that there will be something. It's not going to be a vacuum, and we'll work on it together. And so people kind of were like, okay, well, we got a tough school here, lady. I hope you know what you're getting in for, you know, checking that out the, the, the window. So over, you know, over the next few months, I think for myself, it's, it was really just a, a uh, a question of being very responsive to staff, you know, if they had a problem, being willing to listen, being willing to meet with the student, being willing to help call parents, um, so that they could see that I wasn't doing nothing, that there was support there for them in terms of kids with behavioral challenges. And as as the opportunities arose through staff meetings and, you know, individual discussions with teachers about things, you know, I just kept putting out that same message, this is what I believe in, this is what I plan to do with this child. This is, you know, how things are going. And overall, I think the people have seen that because I, you know, you have to walk the walk and when you're talking the talk. So when I say, you know, we are, you know, I am supportive of you. I will help you with your difficult students. Students aren't getting away with things. You know, there will be changes. It might not be instant, but, you know, there there is support for you here, but it's just looking different. Um you know, meeting with parents or, you know, having counsel, getting counselors in. And um, I think they've been able to see through my actions that that this is possible and it can work. And honestly, I have had, you know, I make little subtle inquiries every once in a while, like, so around this time of year, how do the kids usually get? You know, is this kind of typical? The kids seem kind of calm and everything seems pretty good. And, you know, I get the feedback of, yeah, you know, it seems like this year, and I don't know, maybe it's true, but they've said mm-hmm. it seems like this year our kids don't seem quite as quite as tough as they used to be. And so That's I don't know, like I said, maybe it's a different group of students, it's possible, because yeah, yeah. I don't know the students before, but I honestly think that, that a big part of it is that the kids feel like they are supported. They are listened to, that we're willing to try different things to have them be successful at school, and it makes such a huge difference, such a huge difference, especially with the older students that that tend to set the tone for the school, you know. Mm-hmm. You go up to grade uh, what? Grade 7. Yeah. Yeah, K to 7. So, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely been interesting, and, and teachers, I think, once they listen to a student actually saying, you know, I feel really just the, the thought of coming to class makes me so stressed out that the minute I come in, I just want to be gone. Mm-hmm. And to actually hear that from a student, I don't think there's a teacher who can say, you know, well, I'm just going to, I think just, you know, giving you a detention is going to help, <laughs> you know. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's, it's bringing those two voices together, I think that's really important. And, you know, I know of another school in our district where uh, the counselor um, is using collaborative problem solving, and he will often offer to take the teacher's class for a while so that the teacher and the student can meet. Um, Perfect. You've, you've, you've got to bring them together, and it's, that's one of the things that I am trying to work on is is finding you know having teachers see me do it a few times so they understand it and you know get the get the whole process out there and then giving them the time 
to, to work it through. Because at the beginning, it does take quite a bit of time because you find yourself sitting there and a kid's talking and you're kind of going, uh, okay, what do I want to ask next? Um, uh, is there anything else you want me to know about that? That's that's my favorite one. Is there anything else you want me to, uh, that you need me to understand about this problem? <laughs> Get some talking a little bit more. And that's a good default one. Yeah, um, it is. As you, I've, I've as actually, you heard in the talk yeah. in um, Powell River, yep. I've begun being much more explicit about the components of drilling for information. Right. And I'm about to do a hot topic on that on the Lies in the Balance website. What are the components of drilling? And what I'm finding is that the more um, explicit I can be about what it is that people, what drilling is, and how do you know when you're drilling, and if you're not sure what to do, what are some examples of things you could do if you're drilling, um, I'm finding that that's turning out to be extremely helpful for people. So I want to just sure. alert people that there's going to be a hot topic on that. I haven't Great. done a new hot topic in quite some time, but there will be a hot <laughs> topic on that coming out yeah. uh, soon. Let me ask you a question. Can a lot of people in schools say to me, I wish my leader was on board with this? Uh-huh. Can people who are in buildings where their leader is not – and this is not your first building. You've been in more than one building. Yeah. Can people in buildings uh, where the leader – is not leading the charge, make headway in implementing collaborative problem solving. I'm sort of interested in your take on that. Yeah, oh, I think so, of course, because, you know, it really, you know, even if it's just one teacher in one classroom, um, obviously, you know, if, if, if that's the case, I think that teacher is going to be working with students and they're going to be seeing a difference. And if if previously, I guess here's the way that I see it, if previously you know if teachers are having episodes with kids that are that are severe enough that the kids are getting sent to the office um then once a teacher starts using collaborative problem solving and they're actually working with the student and coming up with plans and making a difference and the kids not getting sent to the office that's a good thing all around and so i can't see how an administrator wouldn't want to get on board with that you know like if if uh if mrs jones down the hallway comes to me after school and says so have you noticed that I haven't been sending Jane to the office very often? And I say, oh, yeah, yeah, something's changed. And, you know, she starts talking about it, I'm going to be pretty impressed. <laughs> you know, I just, I don't know, um, I don't know why an administrator actually wouldn't want to be on board with it because it's, it, it just makes so much sense for kids that they're, you're taking, you're seeing a kid that was resentful and angry and, and uh, difficult and poisonous to your school environment, and and you're working with them to to be successful and happy and comfortable, and and that affects so much of your system. I don't. I, it would boggle my mind why an administrator wouldn't want to be on board. So if if there are teachers that are listening who are doing it and feel like their administrator isn't on board, I think I would start by pointing out how much less work the administrator now has that you're helping uh, deal with these problems go. yourself. There you go. There you go. You know, I was speaking somewhere last week and describing collaborative problem solving, of course. It's almost pretty much the only thing I ever talk about anymore. Um, and a uh, principal came up uh, in the middle of the talk or after I had been through describing Plan B and said, we do this we have kids fill out processing sheets telling us after they've been sent to the office uh, why they got sent, 
why they're in trouble, what they should have done differently, mm-hmm. and what they sh- what the punishment should be. And I <laughs> said, I'm using the word very sorry to report this, there. but that's not collaborative problem solving. Um, any words of wisdom for that principal, just in case she's listening? Well, the intentions obviously are good because they're at the workshop, right? So, so that's the, that's good. the good place to begin. That's the good place to begin. Um, We're gonna have to have. I'm gonna have to talk to you every week just for you to keep me positive. Sometimes, <laughs> but keep going. Um, well, what I see there is is obviously you know they that this might be related to a, a, a I guess a challenge that I've had in terms of keeping track of everything. Right? You need to keep track of what conversations you've had with whom and you know what the plan was. And, you know, you've got a lot of forms on the website that are really helpful, the flow chart and, and the ALSEP and everything. Um, but you know, sometimes it's it sounds to me like trying to take a shortcut, like trying to, to get the kids' point of view out there on a form. Indeed. And if it's similar, I mean at my school when I came in here, we have those same forums. They call them behavior reports. And when kids would get sent to the office, they would have to fill out a behavior report. Actually, they didn't fill it out. The teacher filled it out. But the first thing on it was, why Why did I get sent to the office or something, what I did? And so I said, well, who fills these out? And they said, well, the teacher does. I said, but the teacher didn't do anything wrong. So, but the, and the, the secretary said, but we spent a lot of money on those, Carol. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. We'll have to use them for something else. I don't know. We can line the rabbit's cage in grade one with it or something. Um but so I mean I think that that's the trap that you can get caught into if you try to take shortcuts or try to do it on paper. Like it's not a it's not a form. Even though there's a process and there's guiding questions and there's some papers that can help you, collaborative problem solving isn't a form you can just fill out. It's if the child's just filling it out, it's not very collaborative. So what I've what I've done is I've I've come up with a binder and I've got I've got the uh, Plan B cheat sheet on the back of the binder. So when I'm cool. meeting with a student, I've got it like facing me, and they can't see it, so I can kind of peek at it, and uh, and then I've got it divided into sections, like things, conversations that I've had this current week, conversations that I that you know we've come up with a plan and I need to review them from the last week or so, then I I can move them to the past month if they're kind of going well, and you know just to keep track of everything because it can be really hard to to remember you know so I can flip to the current week and go. Oh yeah, okay. So I've got this one here in front of me with a student who's hitting other students when he's annoyed. This is the plan. I'll go check in with this teacher, see how the plan's going. Oh yeah, this was a month ago, and so and so was, you know, taking off from class and swearing. So had this plan. Haven't heard from him in a while. I'm gonna go check in with this teacher, see how things are going. So you know, the paperwork can be can be helpful, um, but obviously that they were getting stuck in the fact that the word punishment. You know, what's what do you think the punishment could be? Still, the mindset's not quite there that that we're not doing this to the student anymore. Well, and the interesting thing to me was, as you said, because in the empathy step of Plan B, you're drilling for information. Yeah. Hard to imagine how having a kid independently fill out a process sheet yeah. is going to give you any of the information that you really need right. to uh, figure out what was going on from his perspective, what his concerns are, and to have any sense whatsoever about what it is that needs to be addressed for the unsolved problem to be solved. And I find when when kids do that, they tend to write down what they think you want to hear. Indeed. Right? You know, I was being disrespectful. But it doesn't get to the point of, like, 
what was the situation? What's exactly you know what what was going on? So there really needs to be that that conversation and that drilling. I mean, if you're really stuck and you need you know you need some downtime for the kid to do something while you're waiting to see them, well, you know, I don't know, give them a word search or something with <laughs> happy thoughts on it. I don't know. Um, it just seems like yeah, it's it's getting away from. It's getting if if this is what you believe that you need to work together with kids, you can't unilaterally give them a piece of paper to fill out and try to uh, and try to get at the problem that way. One of the things that we do, we have a school-based team. It's a it's a very common structure, you know, within schools. Um, everybody, every school in our district has one where um, you know teachers can refer students with behavioral or academic problems. And what I've started doing is when we have an, uh, a school-based team meeting and it's a behavioral concern, I bring an ALSOP with me so that um, when we're talking about the student, I'm kind of drilling for, in- for information amongst the people that are there, whether it's you know the classroom teacher, the learning support team teacher, the child care worker, the counselor, so everyone kind of can be on the same page and we can help to identify those skills of what that child needs. And I honestly find setting up a plan to teach the skills Setting up the plan with the student for kind of the the crisis intervention is is one part. It's not usually as difficult, but I really find that once you've identified the lagging skills or unsolved problems, um, actually teaching to to turn that around is the part that's the hardest to fit in because it, it comes down to well, when are we going to do that? Who's going to do that? What's it going to look like? Because teaching social skills isn't quick and easy. It's not like teaching addition or subtraction. It's, right. It's quite messy. So that's the part that I'm kind of find myself thinking about now when I'm out for a run or walking the dog and my mind is floating free and it's kind of like how am I going to how are we going to teach that kid to do that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's an idea for your next book. Well, and, and as you know, what I always say is that most of the skills are being taught just by doing plain old proactive plan B, but not mm-hmm. certainly not all of them. And and that's of course the big challenge is um yeah, I guess my the last question because we've only have about two minutes left. Believe it or not, the time has okay. flown by. Wow. Um, uh, what percentage? Putting you on the spot slightly, but not in a big way. What percentage of uh, challenging behaviors that occur in your building do you think are a direct byproduct? Not obviously any kid who's exhibiting challenging behaviors lacking crucial skills, but what percentage of the challenging episodes that occur in your building do you think flow directly from difficulty with academics? Um, oh, goodness. In one way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um, I'd say at least somewhere between 60 to 80%. Indeed. Because... Um, Especially when when kids get older, they start to realize that gap between what other kids can do and what they can't. But it's all Mm -hmm. tied in together. So they don't have academic skills, and so they feel anxiety, they feel embarrassment, they feel stress, they feel anger maybe at the teacher who isn't teaching them or isn't meeting their needs. And so it all kind of gets into this ball of emotional, and then they don't know how to deal with that emotional stress. So it's both. It's academic skills that are lacking, that are you know, causing these feelings and then they're boiling over into emotional and then it's causing conflict with other so it's all kinda of tied in together. But it's it's very Indeed. frequent in my school that, that children who are struggling academically are also struggling behaviorally. Indeed. 
I keep saying indeed because um, you're absolutely right. Uh, we unfortunately are absolutely done with this um, with this uh, program today. Okay. I am delighted that you um, took some time out of your very busy with us once again. Carol Davison, principal at Forsyth Road Elementary in Surrey, British Columbia. Thank you so much for doing this today. It's been my pleasure. It's been great listening to you talk about what you're doing in your building and with the kids in your building to try to implement collaborative problem solving and be more responsive to what's walking in the door. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. And that's going to do it for us today. Um, We'll be back next week with Anytown High School learning how to implement collaborative problem solving live on the air. Until then, have a good week. Good luck with collaborative problem solving.